I can't stop this feeling. Chaka uga 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 chaka uga 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 chaka uga uga. Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me. Uga 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 uga. We're back. Yeah, welcome. That's actually not bad. Yeah, not too bad. Welcome back to the Ways of Cinema, everyone. Where each week we, in this calendar year, we talk about movies that the either host hasn't seen uh what the list is is that uh at the start of this year we each gave each other a list of movies right uh, from Jack the from the thousand one films list i believe well from all sorts of lists yeah the only rule was that i hadn't seen the list that jack gave me jack hasn't seen the list that i gave him and it's jack's turn because he has to talk about a movie i told him to watch and what movie was that jack that film uh was man for all seasons all right. Uh, the film, which actually took home uh, multiple Oscars in the year that it came out, it got Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, uh, Best Actor uh, for Paul Schofield, uh, yeah. Best Script. Um, actually, this we have another case um, of you know we had it I guess in a way with Howard Hawks and uh, Ray Harryhausen, and for you it was with Joseph Mankiewicz. Here uh, now, this is the second film I've seen that you gave me. From uh, Fred Zinneman, ah. uh, because at the start of the very first episode, I think, uh, was High Noon. And right. it's interesting because, um, in a sense, this has a slight connection, I feel, with High Noon, just in the way that both films are about men who are stubbornly, you know, steadfastly clinging to what they believe in and what they feel is right. Right. In, in a, a society world... that doesn't uh, see what the point is. Yeah, or or it's not even that. I mean, I think you know, you know, there's a certain level of conformity. You know, you have a certain character who is not really conforming to what's expected. Uh, of course, in High Noon, that though, you know, th there was a, a sense that that was more about, hey, I'm a gun, I'm a, I'm a sheriff. I need people to help me. Nobody's gonna help me. Here, though, you have a story of uh, Thomas More, and here we get. Very British, and I mean super, what Corey uh, dubbed crumpety uh, type of uh, <laughs> filmmaking. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, for those of you who don't know, uh, Thomas More lived uh, in the era of uh, Henry VIII. Right. He was the king's chancellor for a while. Well, uh, for a little bit. Well, originally, this movie shows, I think originally he was just an advisor or something. Yeah. He was just a guy who was pretty <laughs> cool in his time period. Yeah. I mean, because at the start of the movie, uh, the Chancellor is uh, played by Orson Welles. Yeah, Cardinal uh, Woolsey. Yeah, and um, and they have a great scene together, which I'll get to shortly. Yeah. But um, I forgot that Orson Welles was in this film. Yeah. I always remember Robert Shaw and Chris oh God, Goldfield. Robert Shaw! I can't wait to talk about him. Yeah. But just to give a brief rundown of what 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 happens here for those of you who don't know, uh, Thomas More, you know, again, he's living in the time of Henry VIII. And uh, some of us may remember from history class, Henry VIII was the guy who founded the Church of what you know the the Anglican the, Church. Yeah, what or what they call the Reformation period. In other words, what every single person that's a Protestant comes from the sort of legacy that Henry VIII started because not exactly, but Henry VIII took advantage of the reformation to split from the Pope because he wanted to get a divorce. The word, I mean, well, prot, you know, Protestantism, he was protesting the Catholic church. He was protesting the Pope. 
you could say. I yes, mean, we could get into a history argument some other time. But the point is, you know, Henry VIII wants a divorce. He doesn't feel like his marriage to uh, Catherine is legit. Thomas More, though, he doesn't quite feel that way. He's more of like, hey, we should listen to the Pope because he represents God. Right. Um, but Henry VIII goes through with it anyway. He gets his own... Uh, I'm not going to call him a committee. What were they called in the movie? The uh, the chance, the other little committee that basically makes it so that he gets his way. Yeah, he gets his divorce by splitting England from the Catholic Church. And, yeah. Uh, and the rest of the movie is basically him trying to get Sir Thomas More to yeah to agree with him and lend him his support. Well, More's well, it's it's funny though because um. Because Henry VIII, actually, it's weird that he, it's kind of about that struggle where Henry VIII isn't in the movie that much. No, he's not in the very you know, much at all. Now, I should say that you know one of the things I love, though, is that, again, Orson Welles and Robert Shaw, for me, stole the movie. Yeah. Not, not completely, because, I mean, it's Paul Schofield, I and mean, we'll talk about how effective he is. But they show up, and Orson Welles... You know, he's kind of sitting down for his whole performance, yeah. but he's just so commanding a presence because he's arguing these kind of ethics in a very, you know, interesting way with uh, Thomas More. Yeah. And you kind of get in a one scene what Thomas More's viewpoint is uh, based on this conversation where actually, because I think Orson Welles, Wolsey actually wants to move ahead this uh uh, what Henry VIII wants, but Thomas More's like, no, I don't think so because, you know, he, you know, you can't get a divorce if you're a, you know, Catholic. Yeah. Um, but you know, so there's that, and then Henry VIII shows up, and man, Robert Shaw, he, he's having the time of his life in this movie. Oh yeah, he's you great. Know, yeah, he makes Henry VIII such like a, 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 a he gives him ebullience, imbues him with uh, lots of life and energy, and. Uh, you know, and he's, yeah. yeah. He's, the way that he yells at one point, "I have no queen!" Yes. It's like I, I kind of stood back in that scene. I'm like, okay. "Oh my god, we get it, we get it." Um, yeah, and then he shows. But the thing is, though, he, with the exception of one other scene where, uh, by the way, Vanessa Redgrave kind of has a cameo as Anna Boleyn. Yeah. Um, he he's not really in the movie though. No, like it's really it's his about... underling. Like yeah. it's the guy who, you know, the the, the you know, there's the. I guess you could say the villain of the movie is sort of the system of England, the sort of church, you know, the sort of yeah. monarchy that, unfortunately, you know, Thomas More. It's interesting because he's caught in this place where he does want to serve his king. He still believes in the kingdom, but he doesn't believe that the king is the head of his own church. Right. But at the same time, it's interesting because he's sort of protesting by not saying anything. He's going through this whole thing of, I'm just not going to say anything. I don't want to take an oath. You know, you're making me do an oath and it's against my principles. He's basically enacting what we have in this country today is you known as pleading the fifth. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could say that. Um, John Hurt is in this. He is. He He's one of the... He's one of the... He might have maybe the most complex role in a way not maybe not the most because that's a that, that goes plays to a pivotal more. role very pivotal because and he has an interesting journey because he starts off he wants to work for thomas more yeah he wants to he's very much kind of the servant but he also gets kind of laughed at at one point he falls in the mud and everyone is laughing at him yeah he's basically nobody he's trying to find a nice job to yeah get, to get some he's fame, not a terrible guy wealth. but he wants to find that way to rise up and 
you know, the ranks. Yeah, but the problem is that Thomas More knows that his name is Richard Rich. And <laughs> Which... he knows that Richard is inherently unreliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily that he's a that he's a bad person, but he's he's more he's more than likely to accept bribes. And Thomas Possibly, More, yeah. being the principled man he is, says, "I could give you a job, but I'm not going to give you a place at court or or any other uh, other place because <clears throat> I don't want you to be in a place where you could do bad stuff." Well, it's interesting because what well, first he says that, and then he asks for a job, and he's like, "No." Yeah. He's like, "No." No, you know, look what happened today. You, you, you know, I can't trust you. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing too, though, is again, we can now talk about with Thomas More. You know, for the first uh, part of this movie, he seems like a kind of stubborn, stuck-up, prickly, you know, sort. You know, yeah. I don't take gruff from anybody. You know, you can't marry my daughter. You're a heretic. Yes. Uh, the guy who does end up marrying his daughter anyway. Um, although he seems to mellow out and almost, I'm not going to say he disappears from the movie, but he kind of falls into the backdrop as the ma- stuff the, the up. daughter and the marriage subplot goes by the wayside. Yeah. Uh, but Thomas Moore doesn't really change throughout the film. He has to go throughout all the, he has to go through all these different things. And no, that's where the, the, that's where the dramatic conflict and is. And he starts out as being seen stubborn at the beginning, but as more and more pressure is put on him, he's still the same amount of stubborn. He just gets seen in a better light. I, I feel like though he, I'm not, I don't know if exactly he changes his viewpoint because no, he, he he's hold stead to it. But we do see him change in the respect of you know his circumstances. You know the fact that again he's you know brought in and brought up on charges of uh, of treason, and he's put in this in the is in the Tower of London. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, he's put in there for a long time, and then he has to face trial. Uh, one of the scenes I really liked is when his family comes to see him, and there's just this really awkward moment where his wife, is, you know, and his daughter, are just like you know, this whole our house is ruined. You know, all we do is think about you, and we have all these rats, and you know, it's just. Uh, you know, and yet you're seeing this guy who just you know he doesn't want to bend. Uh, any of his his way right um so that that part is pretty fascinating you know paul schofield is uh, is certainly compelling in this movie what other movies do you know paul Scho- schofield from because i only know one that's uh, franco zeffirelli's hamlet oh yeah um he plays Lydon's, hamlet's father in that i have not seen that hamlet he pops up his final movie was uh the crucible with uh daniel day lewis okay uh, he had he was um I'm trying to remember who he was in that. Oh, he was he was a J- Judge Danforth. All right. Uh, which I actually kind of vaguely well, uh, remember Crucible from The Crucible is history. a play. And The Man for All Seasons is also... I think yeah. he was largely a theater actor because when I go on like his IMDb page, he was only in maybe 20 movies, and uh, a lot of them were Shakespeare parts. He was King Lear in King Lear. Oh, oh, I remember him now. He was the king of France in Kenneth Branagh's Henry V, oh. which you should see at some point if you. I haven't. started watching that once, and I and I I lost interest. <laughs> you should watch the whole thing. It's pretty awesome. It's not as great as his Hamlet, but it's kind. It's pretty close. Cool. You know. Um, I would say for uh for this movie, um, I mean once here and there, like the some of it was a little dry. Which I guess is by design, I guess, because it is about you know British people talking, you know, morals and 
politics and stuff in rooms. Yeah. You know, it is based on a play, so it feels that way. In a sense, uh, this often gets compared to uh, a film which I watched, as you remember, for, uh, a little while back, uh, Line in Winter. Yeah. You know, which that one was about uh, Henry II. <laughs> um, I might have liked that a little more just because of the <laughs> super emotion of that movie and how big everything is and how big... Pierre O'Toole yeah. and Captain Hepburn and Anthony Hopkins are in this movie. It's kind of a reverse situation of of Man for All Seasons because Thomas More, he he's stuck in big in big events, but he plays a very small part. He's well, meanwhile, well, small, but he's keep he's trying to keep his cool. He's trying to be sort of the intellectual calm center. I yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, he's far removed from anything that's going to affect how this situation turns out. Henry. Uh, does what he wants without, with or without more support, and he drags more into it basically because he cannot allow uh, dissent. To, uh, he can't, he can't allow dissent, and Moore's and Moore's fate at the end really affects nothing. No, uh, but but, but it, it is about this. You're really looking at the story of this man. Yeah, but a, a lion winter is about no big event. It's about the people making their presence known in the biggest way possible while they're trying to celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, but um, I guess in the sense you could say that the I two movies. I guess Lion in Winter a Christmas movie? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in the matter I should. Along with Lethal Weapon and <laughs> Die Hard. Movies you don't think of as Christmas movies, but they're totally Christmas movies. Um yeah, I mean, I I, I I I did like this movie uh, a bit, but I, I mean, I, thought, I I didn't love it. I thought it was going to be my first memory of seeing this movie is when I was watching it with my sister. She had like she was a fan of the Tudors. Okay. So I thought, oh, I have this movie. Why don't we watch it together? And both she and her husband fell asleep. <laughs> uh, well, but, it is a kind of movie that you do have to you do have to watch it. You have yeah, to pay you attention. Have to pay attention because I mean, you know, Robert it's not, Bolt. It's not like the other Boleyn girl. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not kind of a trashy. You know, I'm Eric Bana and I'm angry Henry the Eighth with uh, you know Scarjo. You like and, me when I when I'm angry. Yeah. Actually, uh, other Boleyn girls kind of fun. Yeah. It's not it's not like a great movie, but. I I kind but, of enjoyed it. But, uh, and I thought watching it again, this was only my second time seeing it, that it would be kind of dry. But I found it much more interesting. There's some, in, there some very, riveting parts. It's still parts. a very interesting film. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the, you know, what is said about how a man lives by his by his life. Right, and what the law is. Yeah, and it's funny because I think this will go into a little bit related to the movie you're going to talk about next. But, um... Yeah, you know, I mean, in a way, enough. yeah, you know, and about God as well. I mean, how, what, what kind of service do you look to with God? And that's something else I did like about the movie. You don't, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with what Thomas Moore is saying in this movie. You know, I mean, I don't know how many people are, are, there's probably maybe one guy in the world who's like, no, get rid of Protestantism, Catholic Catholicism is the only way. Yeah. Um, don't but you mean the Pope? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and I think now, I think I, I was reading on Wikipedia, Thomas More has been elevated to the oh, yeah, height of... Oh, yeah, he's a saint of, now. Yeah, he's a super saint. Um, but, you know, again, in a more universal sense, what the movie's trying to tell us is it, it's inherent for people to try to stick to something that is at their core. And if they betray that, what does that say about yourself? What does that say about all of us? Uh, so there are some deep things in this movie. It 
got it kept it from greatness just because again some of it was a little dry time for me so yeah we need more orson wells in movies man that's that's the point i'm trying to make we, uh, sorry uh okay that's my that's my just a side note that's my orson wells uh wine commercial uh imitation <laughs> i think i might have told you about that where in one of the wine outtake videos yeah you told me about that yeah we had he, a whole episode about yeah orson we did wells. yeah i i wish i had I, I mean, on iTunes. yeah, yeah. Check out the or, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Orson Welles, episode 6.4, I believe. But or 6. now 6. on to Andrew. Yeah, now on to you. And uh, let me set up my alarm here, uh, starting the clock. Uh, you uh, you got to watch a Woody Allen movie. Yeah, Woody Allen movie, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yes, starring Woody Allen and Martin Landau. Yeah, but also it's got Alan Alda, Angelica Houston. And of uh, course, Mia Farrow. Right, Sam, uh, Sam Waterston. Yeah, Sam Waterston. Um, we yeah. both watched movies that have people from Law & Order in them. Who was from Law & Order in... Uh... Not a man from all seasons in The Sentinel. Oh, oh, But that's okay. not the point. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, this is the story of two people. Yeah. One is played by Woody Allen, who is basically Woody Allen. His yeah. name's Cliff Stern. He's a he's an idealistic documentary filmmaker who doesn't have much going on in his life. Yeah. Uh, the other is uh, Jude, Jude, uh, Judah Rosenthal, played by Martin Landau. Yeah, he's a doctor. He's an optometrist who is who had an affair, and now his mistress is going to reveal the affair to his wife. Yeah, and his mistress is uh, played by Angelica Houston. Right. Um. How are these related? Very tangentially. Well, they, which is great because you're trying to see how these things are going to meet up eventually. Uh, these stories run, I guess you could say, parallel to one another. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I mean, and I mean, the title literally says, you know, you're seeing crimes and misdemeanors happening. I, I don't know if you could say, Woody Allen, I don't know if he necessarily commits a crime in the movie. He does something kind of questionable at one point, although it's for kind of a comedic burn you could yeah. say against uh, alan alda uh woody allen's plot provides most of the humor yeah well that's which is pretty you... good because the plot with uh judah the optometrist is gets really serious uh, well yeah this, i mean this... this movie swings between sort of a, a, a an earnest seriousness and this sort of i i, I don't know how to describe the comedy but still well, it, well you know how you describe it andrew if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not funny. That's yeah. a, um, one of Alan Alda's lines. And it's funny because, uh, just a little tiny piece of trivia, uh, Alan Alda is based on this actual uh, comic. I think his name was like Larry Gelbart. And yeah. both Woody Allen and Alan Alda wa worked with this guy. He's a comedy writer. And he was like the most corny freaking guy out there. And uh, he would actually say things like "comedy is tragedy plus time," yeah, and you know and things Alan like Alda's that. Alan Alda's great. Because, oh yeah, and he's still doing, and it's not like he has to go very far. He's still doing Alan Alda, you know, just saying things, yeah, being funny. But he's so much better in this one because he's just such a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're tired of yeah. Alan Alda just being just being Alan Alda, you'll find plenty to dislike. He openly tells Woody Allen, you know, look, you know, the only reason I'm letting you direct this documentary is because it's a favor. I actually like your movies. Yeah, <laughs> like that's it's kind of funny to see that 
tension there. And, uh, and yet, you know, it's funny because at the core of it, Woody Allen, you know, he's making like a movie that, you know, he thinks, you know, it's very serious. He's trying to make this little documentary about this intellectual. Yeah. And who's talking about love and the meaning of life and things like that. And that's what I find really great about this film. Okay. It's these two plot lines. One, which is this sort of, I guess you could say murder plot. Yeah. About an affair. And then you have this, I guess there's no better way to say this Woody Allen relationship plot. Yeah. And they they're they don't have much to do with each other, but they're both heading in the same direction of you're seeing, what is life all about? You're seeing two men grappling with, you know, choices that really have big significance for them. Yeah. And I guess I'll just go off on a tangent because I just want to talk about this. Please. That scene where where uh, Cliff Woody Allen his sister is talking about the blind. <laughs> <laughs> and that, oh and man, that scene, I, I laugh like just when I think about that scene. And that scene is Cause, heading cause in such a dark direction. The, the actress is played by uh, Carolyn Aaron, by the way. She's in a, a couple of Woody Allen's movies. Yeah, and it's heading in such a dark direction. But finally, when you but the punchline is the punchline is just it releases all that t- tension into a really great laugh. <laughs> Well, a couple of big laughs because first it's the moment the sister has with Woody Allen, and then it's afterward when he comes back home to his uh, I don't know if it's his wife or yeah, his, it's girlfriend. his wife. Yeah, and then he just kind of slumps on the bed and says in kind of a monotone voice what his sister told her told him. Yeah. I think that's almost funnier than yeah. what she tells him. Um, yeah, that's one of the big jokes of the movie. Um, <laughs> You're glad it's there, though. Oh yeah, of course. Oh the god, that's one of the most memorable things. If you if you Google, uh, yeah, crimes and misdemeanors and clips, you'll probably find that scene. Um, yeah, Martin Landau is so good in this movie. Yeah, he is too. I love the scene where he goes back to his childhood home, and there's that flashback. Yeah, and not he... but it's not just one where he sees what happened. It's one where he actively talks to the people in yeah. the flashback. There, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, Woody Allen has talked about this here and there in interviews that uh, I don't know if it show, so much shows up in this movie, but one of his influences is uh, Louis Buñuel. Hmm. Yeah, I, that... I can see that. Yeah. Because the, Judah, his plot line is this, is this story about this sort of middle class, upper middle class man and you're talking, and when it's an examination of like you know, sort of middle class morals, like people they have these happy marriages, they have dinner parties, and they give each other these sort of sensible gifts and things like that. And then you know, the the husband is having an affair, and he doesn't want to admit to his wife, so he 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 has his mistress murdered. Yes, you know, a, a sort of. Oh, by the way, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you know by now, if you're listening to this episode, they're spoilers. Yeah, uh, but this sort of skewering of, of the middle class as this sort of moral people, you know, the center of America in a way. Yeah, well, well, it's great. Again, Judah is engaging with... Uh, he, he goes in this room and this fa- this family's having this, like, dinner. They're having a Seder. Yeah, and he actually asks them, like, existential questions. Like, if a man kills, you know, what happens to his soul? And yeah. all these very deep questions, but they're done in a very creative, different way. Yeah. There's also a scene I really love where um, Martin Lando goes back to the apartment 
after uh, Angelica Houston's been been killed, just yeah. to like look at her. Yeah. And they just show like her face, and she's you know her eyes are open. Yeah, and I love Angelica Houston. Yeah, uh, she and she plays a great part in here. She she is definitely emotionally unstable. <laughs> yeah, in in, a, in like in like a sort of uh, officially certifiable way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Martin Landau's character, once this whole thing is done. I really started disliking him, not because of what he had done, hmm. but because of how infirm he is. <laughs> infirm? Yeah, he's like, he's constantly trying to decide, oh, what do I do? What do I do about this? Like, now and he goes back done, to his brother. Li- how and... do I live with this? And he's just, he, 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 it's like he can't, he can't make a decision for himself and then stick with it. If he was like, oh, I'll have her murdered. There, it's done. He can't commit to the fact that he's murdered his mistress. In yeah. essence. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, like, if you're going to make a terrible decision, make a terrible decision, and then, <laughs> but then stick with it. And then at the end, though, he does learn to deal with that. Well, that well, that's the part that makes it, like, so, ca- like, almost chilling in a way. Like, because, because ultimately the way that Martin Landau and Woody Al meet each other is at a, uh, a wedding. Yeah. And, um... A wedding for... for- yeah, I think it was Sam uh, Watterson's daughter. Yeah, yeah, and his uh, uh, Martin Landau's niece. Yeah, and Woody Allen, his character, kind of his, finds out uh, what happened with Mia Farrow. Yeah, it kind of breaks his heart. And there's just this one of the best scenes ever, which I I, I specifically rewatched that scene. I've seen the movie a number of times, but I specifically watched this scene again just yesterday, where the two of them have like this conversation about where Martin Landau almost kind of pitches a movie idea to the Woody Allen character. Yeah. And they have, he this basically mo- just tells the story of what just happened. Yeah. Life. And you know, and, uh, and, and Woody, Woody Allen Al- tries to suggest something that would make it more like a typical movie. And Martin Landau's character is like, well, but you know, that's, that's what, that's just fiction. You know what you're saying? You know, go if to you movies. want a happy, if you want a happy ending, go to see a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Which sometimes that seems like the kind of thing that, a movie character says, and you just kind of roll your eyes, like, yeah. uh, we know what you're doing. But here, it, it re- really works. Oh, yeah, it really works in this case. I mean, because it's... it's a, In real life, if you essentially got away with murder... Yeah. No one is really going to go out and confess. <laughs> well, no, not... Yeah, unless if they have to somehow. But, yeah, again, it's... <laughs> you know, you hate to admit it, but I mean, if you get away with something, you get away with it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, there are a number of, there are a good number of unsolved murder cases in this country and throughout Which the world. Which I may or may not be involved in. I'm slowly stepping <laughs> away from the table. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because Woody Allen kind of made sort of a, well, I guess now I, I you can almost say it's like a trilogy of films sort of dealing with this sort of, you know, character who commits a murder and, you know, what's going to happen with that guy sort of thing. You know, so you have crimes and misdemeanors as I guess sort of the first one. And I guess, you know, most people would say the best. Then you have match point, uh, which is kind of like crimes and misdemeanors, but without the comedic plot line, it's Uh just, uh, but, but in that one, he's making more, people were kind of shocked when match point came out. Cause that was like Woody Allen doing a street thriller. And people hadn't really seen that before at that time. Yeah. I actually put Match Point as my favorite movie of that year, of uh, 2005. Uh, and it was, you know, really compelling just for that reason of kind of taking sort of that idea. And in that, the difference was, uh, spoilers, um, 
in that one though the, the the main character actually does kill the woman that he's been cheating with um as opposed to getting someone else right. so i guess there's that sort of added element of the uh, you know dread and then uh the la- the third movie which just came out this year was uh, irrational man yeah which i you, talked about on the show about this <clears throat> this is like Woody, Woody Allen's Dollars trilogy. Yeah, well, yeah, Woody Allen's, uh, I guess you could call it Crime and Punishment trilogy. Because, you know, it goes back to also Dostoevsky. What what happens when this man, when, when a man commits murder, you know, do they just live with themselves? Do they suddenly become like, do they get sort of this Superman mentality about it? Yeah. I'm more powerful than you. Mm. You know, it's all about luck as well. The fact that he doesn't get caught, um, but uh, yeah, I feel like you know one of the one of the great things with this movie again it, it balances out that those elements of you know kind of a you know really you know Woody Allen comedy, but then also this serious movie. Some people, I, you know, it's funny because I think Woody Allen said that he made this movie in part because he felt like uh, he went too soft at the end of Han and Her Sisters. Uh, of all things, have you seen that movie? No. Okay. I'll well, pretend to have seen it, though. Good. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, Michael Caine. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, for this movie, though, I wish Martin Landau could have gotten an Oscar for this. He was just that good. Oh, uh, well. Um, anything, what other things to say about it? Uh, favorite quote, last time I was in a woman, I visited the Statue of Liberty. Oh! Nice. That, a, that's a very a, Woody Allen line. Do you have a favorite line from this film? <clears throat> um... Uh, a stranger defecated on my sister. <laughs> That's you think the one no that one had up. ever been compared to Mussolini before? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm sure there are other good lines here. I, I we mentioned the. I've never been seduced by a man who used the word nuclear. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to remember some other stuff. There's a lot of things with uh, faith a little bit in this movie too. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why I mentioned that when I was talking about Man for All Seasons, both having men who are, although in this one, you know, because Martin Lando mentions, you know, you're, you know, he mentions to the Sam Larson character, you know, you're a man of God and I'm not. Yeah. So that's why, in a way, he also doesn't have that much a problem of, uh, you know, not telling anybody. He's not carrying around any guilt. Yeah. You know, what happens with a man who doesn't carry around guilt? I mean, he goes through a little period where he's like, as you said, like, I, I hate you because you're kind of hemming and hawing. Yeah. But, you know, that, I guess at the least that shows that he didn't immediately go cold. Yeah. You know, no, you know nothing. But it, is, it is more realistic. It, you know, it fits with the film. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing I took away from this film is this idea of whether you're this person who loses a chance on love or that, or you end up living with the, the, the fact that you've committed a crime, no matter what you, what you've done or what you've lost, it's important to keep trying to find joy in small yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, Woody Allen, you know, his cliff, he, his life isn't working out at all, but he still has going to the movie theater with his niece. Yes. Yeah, and, his niece. and every time you see him in that in that movie theater, he's he's absolutely joyous. Yeah, you know, I think and that happens for a lot of people. We have to sometimes find these little moments when our lives are just completely in disarray. Kind of like Bill, kind of like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. No yeah, matter you, what happens in the future, my life, I'm happy right now. There you go. I'm glad you're happy right now. 
So many movies. Yeah. Uh, just one last question. This is not related to that, but but um, have you seen many Woody Allen stuff? Uh, I've seen Annie Hall and Midnight in Paris and that thing where he robs banks. <laughs> that thing where he robs banks. I forget what it's called. Take the money and run. Yes. I'm. Wow. I mean. The thing about that movie that my mom actually told me to watch that when I was pretty young. Like, I, I actually saw the early Woody Allen movies when I was, like, uh, like, uh, I like 12 or 13. Movie. Well, you know, what does that say right there? That, that says, is that gub? gub? No, 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 it's gun. And it's, is apt? No, act. Act natural. I'm pointing <laughs> a gun at you. Act natural. I'm gonna, Wait, I'm gonna... can you read this, man? What does this say right here? Does this say gub? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the point where his parents are interviewed and they have the fake glasses and fake noses. <laughs> but check, those are our movies. Yeah, I gotta check out more. Yeah, check uh, out, yeah. So go check out Crimes and Misdemeanors or A Man for All Seasons if you've been interested in what we've been try, talking about. Yeah, try to find some meaning in your life. Try to find a way to act, a try, way to uh, live with your past mistakes. Yeah, are you a Thomas More or are you a Judah, whatever his last name is. Are you opposing an egocentric king, or are you trying to get rid of your mistress? <laughs> yeah, it's all, about, way, it's all about how you live your life, folks. Precisely. All right, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have our main discussion of the week. Uh, it's about spies. Pew, 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 are you a spy, Jack? I'm a spy. I'm a spy all over. All right, no, this is worse than I thought. <laughs> We are all faced throughout our lives with agonizing decisions, moral choices. Some are on a grand scale. Most of these choices are on lesser points. But we define ourselves by the choices we have made. We are, in fact, the sum total of our choices. Events unfold so unpredictably, so unfairly. Human happiness does not seem to have been included in the design of creation. It is only we, with our capacity to love, that give meaning to the indifferent universe. 